We are in Mark chapter 2 at the end. We're going to finish Mark 2 today. I made you a promise three weeks ago that we would finish and we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, complete it. Um, Mark 2, and we'll go into Acts. I'm sorry. I don't know why Acts is on my mind. Mark chapter 3 through verse 6. Because these two stories go together. And at first you think it may be the same issue, but it's not. I mean, it is the Sabbath, and we're going to talk about the Sabbath, but it's really the two issues are centered around the Sabbath, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that. But we have to go back. Remember, the lens through which we see everything is the lens of what? The euangelion, the gospel, the term gospel. It's the, the euangelion, this this word that continues to surface throughout Mark and the other Gospels that means when a new king is born, when a new king is coronated, or when a king has a great victory, that word, euangelion, good news, that calling is what is beckoning people to hear that good news and respond to it. It wasn't simply that some guy stood out on the street corner and said that, to let people know for information's sake. He wanted them to celebrate. And for us, to hear that term means that we understand that He desires for us to be under His rule, under His reign, and in His kingdom, operating as one of His kingdom subjects when He, when he makes that announcement. And so, we, we went through that in chapter 1. And if you remember... We're in a series of healings that have taken place. A leper was healed. A paralytic was healed. The leper represented sin. Leprosy represents sin. It's symbolic of sin. The men were, they had to go unclean, unclean, unclean. The paralytic represented somebody that could do nothing for themselves. So those are physical healings that took place, but immediately after the paralytic healing, you had Levi. Levi was the spiritual representation of what we just saw in the leper and the paralytic. And then after Levi, you had the Pharisees who were starting to push in on Jesus and what they're doing is they're, they're getting ready to move Him to the cross. The leaders, the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees here, are pushing because they are the ones in power. Do you know that the Sadducees really made up the majority of the Sanhedrin, but the Pharisees had a lot of power because the Pharisees were the enforcers of Sabbath. I don't know if you knew that. But the Pharisees were, the Sadducees were afraid of the Pharisees because they wielded so much power in enforcing things about the Sabbath or Shabbat, as they call it. And so, in last week's passage, we saw Messiah invite Levi, the most unlikely person that would ever be invited into his kingdom. And he didn't only invite him in to be part of the kingdom, he wanted him to be one of his leaders. And they got upset about that because what happened? He goes out and as a good 
follower, he goes out and starts telling people. He invites them to come to his house. Not for a party for him. He wanted them to meet Jesus. That's what we do. It's natural. No evangelism classes. No training. He just goes out and says, hey, you guys got to come meet this guy who changed my life. And so they're going, how could this man be a friend of sinners, the Pharisees? How could he be the Messiah? And we saw what happened when grace meets prideful works-based religion when he encountered them. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And you know, it's an issue when you are a religious person and you try to argue with the one who made you. That's a real problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these people think they're serving the one who made them, and then they're going to argue with the one who made them, and it's a real problem, and it's going to continue. This week, we see the Pharisees continue with their skepticism about Jesus, and they start picking on His followers because they realize every time they encounter Him and try to trap Him and get Him, it doesn't work out too well. You ever had that happen? People come after you, and if they can't get you, they'll come after your kids or whoever, somebody else. Dog. They go for yeah, they go after your dog. <laughs> right. They, so they started going after his followers, questioning his loyalty, if he's really supposed to be this Messiah guy to the greatest spiritual priority they had, which was what? The Sabbath. It was. Would he continue to heal people on the Sabbath? Because they viewed that as work. And they viewed the Sabbath as a holy day. The Sabbath was their way to display um, their pious, externally focused religious work to the world. And, And they wanted people to see how zealous they were. And they wanted to make sure nobody violated their fences that they put up around God's law because that's what they were. They were fences. They were rules. They weren't, it wasn't God's law. It was their rules about God's law. What does the Sabbath mean? You know, how many of you guys grew up in a city where everything was closed on Sunday? I used to hate that, man. I'd want to go to the store. I'd want when we when when the first thing began to be open on Sunday, I thought it was like Christmas. It was like because I hated the fact that every Sunday we had to go home because nothing was open. And we either went to my grandma's house or my other grandma's house, or we stayed at home. That was it. Because everything was closed. You just couldn't go anywhere. And and so the blue laws, that's what that was all about. And we was called because you don't work on Sunday. Well, that really wasn't true. That wasn't the whole goal of the Sabbath. And so we're going to look at what that really means. What is the Sabbath? You know, what is it really keeping it mean? But the Pharisees are center stage now moving Jesus toward the cross. That's what we're starting to see. He's already alluded to it with the paralytic, Levi, and, and, and with the man with the withered hand today, they are getting incensed at him. Not because of what he's doing, 
but because of what he's saying, what he's communicating to the people. You see, the Pharisees took the Scriptures out of the everyday person's hand. They just took it out of their hands and they put it in the hands of the religious professionals. They would tell you what God's law means. They didn't trust you to come to it on your own. And so they would tell you. And so we had what's called the Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A-H, which was the oral tradition of the rabbis. Their interpretation. What happened during the uh, Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile, uh, they, they came up with these synagogues because they were in foreign countries for them to meet. And Pharisees, meaning separate ones, would come up. And uh, they would, they, the Pharisees would teach the people. And it was good at first, right? It was good. They were teaching them. Why did uh, Israel get sent to Babylon? Why did they get sent to Assyria? What was their biggest sin? Anybody know? Well, they didn't keep the, the Sabbaths. That was one thing. Idolatry. But it was idolatry. If you go and you read through the Old Testament, they worshiped the Baals, they worshiped the Asherahs. They were always doing what God warned them not to do. He didn't want to be one among many gods. He was the only true God. And so they went into exile. He said, listen, you want idolatry? I'll give you idolatry. So he sent them to Babylon and Assyria. <laughs> And they got a belly full of it there. Does God do that with me and you? Yep. He, he warns us about something and we keep trying to get it. And He goes, okay, you want it? I'll give it to you. <laughs> Doesn't work out too well. And so they go in there. When they came out, remember we studied Haggai this summer? Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, post-exilic prophets. They're after the exile. You don't see them talk about idolatry in there. They don't. Because what happened is, idolatry wasn't the problem anymore. You know what became the problem? Selfish pride. Prideful, externally focused work. That's what really became the issue. And so the Pharisees built all these... That's when the Mishnah, they, they started coming up with these oral transmissions of this is what that law really means. And they started building what we call fences around the law. In other words, let's say God said, I don't want you to be more than three feet from the table. Then the Pharisees would go, hey guys, listen, we need to tell people not to get within six feet of the table because if we give six feet, that's a three feet buffer and we won't have to worry about it. And so that's exactly what they did. And so the Mishnah was the oral. They took what was oral, they wrote it down and call it the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. Jesus never referred to the Talmud once during His ministry. Never. In fact, Jesus would say, you've heard that it was said... Don't commit adultery. But I'll tell you, any man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart, what? Has already committed adultery. You've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you. So, he's saying it's not about the external. It's about the inside. And so the Pharisees had built all these things to take it and they wanted to take it out 
and they became intoxicated with power as they tried to, at first, protect people, and then it became a power trip for them. Does that ever happen? Does it ever happen in religion? Does it ever happen in the church? You bet. Remember a guy named Martin Luther? 1521, Diet of Worms. Martin Luther said, listen, we're all priests. Everybody should be able to read the Bible, the Scriptures. We all should be able to read it and learn from it. We're all priests. And they said, you need to recant at the Diet of Worms. You need to repent and recant of it. And you know what he said? He said, if you show me in Scripture, I'll recant. But I'm not going to recant because of your tradition. That's what he told them. It's grace alone, faith alone, the Bible alone, and Scripture alone. And that was his word. Martin Luther, that was, he, man, he popped those 95 theses on there and he stood by it. He was a man of conviction and he, he was right. And that led to the Protestant Reformation today where you and I can read the Scriptures today because of the way God used him. Isn't that cool? That God did that? So today in Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verses 23 all the way through chapter 3-6. And, and I, I want to show you three things that Messiah is doing here. Because it's all about Jesus. The first thing is He affirms the authority of God's Word. And you go, well, that's a given. No, it's not always a given. These religious people had forgotten that. Can religious people put other things above the authority of God's Word? Can they? I mean, I'm, I'm not... Yes. Do we see that in our culture? Do we have churches in America that have elevated homosexual people to be pastors and leaders? They, they have elevated culture over the authority of God's Word. There's a lot there that to unpack. So we're going to look at that. But Jesus reveals and He affirms the authority of God's Word. Second thing He does is He clarifies the meaning of God's Word. He doesn't just say this is important and take them back there authoritatively. He explains what it means. Isn't that great? You know, so often when we're reading through Scripture, our guys are going, I, I can't tell you, Brad, I know you have too. People have said, you know, I just wish God would show me what He wants me to do. Al, I know you've never said that. Right? Yes, I have. <laughs> I just wanted you to confess it in front of us all, but I, I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Uh, <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Most of the time when guys are saying that, they're wanting the Scriptures to say something different than they do. They're trying to figure out how to get around and circumvent the meaning of God's Word and make it have something mean, mean something different. Which is going on today with the whole subject of homosexuality. And, and acceptance of the LGBTQ community saying, you know what? They just, they rationalized. Maybe, you know, it was different in the Bible. They weren't talking about monogamous homosexuality. I've heard people say this. 
Pastors said this. It's a different form of homosexuality. I'm not kidding you, Al. Listen, we don't stand in judgment of Scripture. We don't have the authority to change Scripture. It is what it is, and it means what it's supposed to mean. Our job is to try to allow God to teach us what it means. Jesus clarified the meaning of the Sabbath to these men this day. And that's what we're going to see. And then the third thing is Messiah. we have a Messiah that demonstrates the mercy of God's Word. God's Word is not burdensome. God's Word is not a ball and chain to just keep us from doing things. His Word is merciful. It is an act of mercy to be able to understand God's truth, to apply His truth in your life. Your rules, your weights, those are burdensome. I'm merciful. And we see that with a man with a withered hand. So we're going to read and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at each one of these, okay? Starting in Mark, looking at Mark 2, going all the way down to uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, okay? Join with me. One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. These are the very words of God. These are his words. And it's pretty straightforward as you go through here. There's not, I mean, it really is. When you read this, the verse 23, like it says, he was going through cornfields with his disciples. And guess what? The way it was set up for you guys who've been over there with me uh, especially the last couple of years, we went through uh, Nahala. The way their compounds were set up, they'd have a housing area, and then they would have what's called a Nahala, which was a garden or a, a, a you know a field of wheat, corn, whatever. And and so that was property. You'd see a bunch of Nahalas together. So people would be walking from A to B. And they just go through the, through the wheat fields. They just walk through there. There was a, a path usually nearby. 
And so it wasn't like today where somebody said, get off my property, you know? I mean, like, it, it was it was expected that they would walk through these. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it said that anybody walking through a traveler, so it didn't have to be a poor person, poor people, uh, orphans, widows, marginalized, they were allowed to go and, and get food out of there. But even just your normal, everyday person if they're hungry, they're walking through a grain field, they can pick the grain and eat it. Now, you can't take a sickle and cut up your friend's grain and bag it and go try to sell it. That, that becomes illegal at that point. It becomes sinful because you're stealing. But they did not consider it stealing just to go and take grain as you were walking through. So that's what they were doing. Where had they been? Well, they had been in Jerusalem. We know that from John chapter 5. Jesus was in Jerusalem for a feast, and while He was there, it's the first healing of a guy on the Sabbath. Remember the guy at the Pool of Bethesda? You guys who've gone with me, you saw the Pool of Bethesda. You saw where it was. You know the story. The water would swirl, and somebody would try to get in there, and there was healing in the water. They believed it was angels, but they they would get in the water, and, and so Jesus comes up to this guy in John 5 and says, hey, do you want to be healed? And he said, sure, you're Messiah, you can heal me, right? Isn't that what he said? No, no he said, nobody can put me in the water. Yeah. This guy didn't even know who Jesus was, which blows away the prosperity gospel falsehood that it's the amount of faith you have because he didn't have faith. He didn't know. He said, I ain't got nobody to put me in the water. Yeah. And Jesus goes, take your mat, get up and walk. And he did. And you know what? Even when he left, he didn't have faith. I mean, he listen, does it take faith if all of a sudden you get energized by the Holy Spirit? God does a creative or a recreative work in you, gives you strength, you get up in obedience to what he says. Does that take faith? It would have taken faith to say, you can heal me. Might give you something. Yeah, yeah. But you would think it would. I don't know that that guy was a believer. Yeah. Because what happens is he gets up and he's walking away and the religious leaders come up and say, hey, who told you to take your mat and walk? He goes, I don't know. He didn't even take time to find out the guy's name. Jesus did not heal that guy necessarily for that guy. He healed him on the Sabbath and they knew it. And guess who was following them through the grain fields here? Guess who were with the disciples? Pharisees. They were going, we got to check. This guy's going in, healing people on Sunday, telling them to take up their mat. We got, this guy's a threat. So they're walking with him. And it says in one text, I think it's Luke, some of the Pharisees. So it may not have been all of them, but some of them then questioned him. According to the Old Testament, you could pick grain. Like I told you in Deuteronomy 23. You can pluck the heads. It doesn't limit it to six days a week. There's no prohibition against doing that on a Sunday. The problem is the rules of the Pharisees, the Talmud had lots of limitations. Listen to some of these. First of all, in the Talmud, there were 24 chapters alone devoted to Sabbath rules. 24 chapters. Guys, that's a lot. 
Here's one of the rules. On the Sabbath, you are only allowed to take 1,999 steps. <laughs> Who came up with that number? They didn't have Fitbit. Yeah, 1,900 and ni- Yeah, they didn't have a Fitbit, right? 1,999. But, but, if you were getting food, they put a provision in there that you could start over. Like if you were walking to get food, what you walked, you, you could start your 1999 over after you got the food. All right? Could you carry the food? Well, that's, here's another issue. <laughs> Nothing could be carried that weighed greater than a dried fig on the Sabbath. <laughs> Have you ever held a dried fig? It's nothing. Right? The Talmud, the Talmuds, that's a Pharisee studied those. They walked around. They had them. The Talmud. This was their. No, no, no. That's the Torah. Yeah, the Talmud was the Mishnah, the oral tradition that was written down. But listen, here's another one. If you threw an object up in the air with your right hand, caught it with your left hand, that violated the Sabbath. If I threw it up with my right hand and caught it with my right hand, it's the same hand, so it doesn't violate the Sabbath. That's because it ain't in the Bible. It's in the Talmud. Okay? A tailor or somebody who sewed clothes couldn't walk with their sewing kit or their, their even a needle on the Sabbath because that was their work. And so if they walked with that, it was a violation of the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are walking with the disciples. They have no thoughts forever uh, about the disciples' hunger. All they care about is their power. That's all. It was sinful to them what they were doing. And I'll tell you why. Because here's what the Talmud said about what they were doing. If you pick some wheat and roll it around like you pick it and roll it, you don't just take it and put it right in your mouth, then you're reaping. You're reaping, reaping, R-E-A-P-I-N-G. You're reaping, which is against the uh, Talmud on the Sabbath. You can't do that. That's called reaping. Huh? No, well, you can take it, but you got to put it right in your mouth and start eating it. Corn in the Bible is, is or, well, it's wheat. It's yeah, not, it's not, yeah, it's not it's corn, yeah, it's not like corn. It is really they, they, it's a grain field or a barley field, but it's wheat. It's it, so it's not like a corn cob. So if you pick and roll it, it's reaping. If you rub it in your hands, the wheat for the chaff to to come off, that's considered threshing, which is sinful. If you throw the chaff away, that's winnowing, which is sinful. So what they were watching the disciples do, they're saying, why are they breaking the Sabbath law? They're working, is what they were saying. It's not lawful. And what they're really saying is, why are you challenging our authority by letting them do that? And and I love what Jesus said. Have you never read? You know who he's talking to here, right? He's talking about the guys who would have read it many times. Have you never read? And he takes them back to 1 Samuel. Write this down. 1 Samuel 21. You can go there and read it. I'm not going to read it now, but I'm just going to give you a condensed version. What happened is David was running away from Saul. Saul was pursuing him. He wanted to kill him. And so David takes his men. They go to a place called Nob. 
The priest is there. It's a guy named Ahimelech. And Ahimelech was uh, in charge of the bread of presents. Every week, they would make 12 loaves of bread. They would go take these 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes and put it in the presence of God. It was called the bread of presence. Every week, they would replace that bread. When they replaced it, the priests were allowed to eat it. But only the priest. That was ceremonial law. It was God's divine ceremonial law. And so what happened is, when David shows up, he goes, hey, I got some hungry guys. We haven't eaten. Do you have anything? Well, the only thing we have is the bread. It wasn't the bread that was in the presence. They wouldn't have taken that. It was the bread that had came out and they'd replaced it and the priest were going to eat that and they said well we've got the this but your men have to be holy in other words at that time period you know what that was they had not been with women they had not been with prostitutes they had not been out sleeping around That's what it meant. If you go to the text and you read that text I gave you a while ago, you'll see that's what they're saying. And David goes, no, they are holy. They are set apart. We're on a mission from God. Now here's the thing. David, King, and his men were hungry. This story, Jesus, King, and his men, hungry. David on a mission for God. Jesus on a mission for God. Jesus took them exactly in the text where He wanted to take them. They were both hungry, and here's the thing. What he's saying is they violated ceremonial law because they were hungry. And there's a thing in the, in the Jewish faith called pekua nefesh. It's P-E-K-U-A-C-H. P-E-K-U-A-C-H. Nefesh. N-E-F-E-S-H. Pekua nefesh. And what it means is, if somebody is dying, or somebody's medically hurt, or somebody's in need, medically, health-wise, or whatever, I can violate God's law to help that person. That's what it means. That's what Pekua Nefesh means. And so, if I saw somebody on the side of the road, and they were bleeding... I would be unclean to go touch that person. But if I could administer help to them, I could violate that uncleanliness law or or civil law, or not civil, but ceremonial law, to go help them. So what Jesus is saying here, wait a minute, David violated God's divine ceremonial law. I'm only violating your tradition, the Talmud. That's what he's telling them. He's, he's telling them God's Word trumps this. If David can violate divine ceremony, I can violate human tradition. So Jesus is the final interpreter of God's Word. He spoke to this pretty much declaring that pakua nefesh is okay. That it's okay to, to break a commandment in order to preserve life. Do we see that in Scripture? Did Rahab bear false witness about the people who were? Well, the road to Samaria where the, the guys injured 
And nobody wants to help them because they're clean and they didn't want they, to They didn't want to touch him. They didn't exercise that. But I'm talking about a time it did. Rahab lied. Rahab lied to protect the troops. She lied to authorities. Okay? But it's okay. Is this part of the 613? Yeah, well, well, the divine ceremonial law is part of the 613 laws they had to walk by. And so, Jesus affirms the authority of God's Word. Verse uh, 27. This is great. He explains His Word. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was a cre- it was established at creation in Genesis 2-3. And God basically rested, and there was one day a week that it, 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 Sabbath was instituted before the Ten Commandments came to be in Exodus 20. And so it was one day a week to rest. And, and you know how I know it was instituted? Because if you go back to Exodus 16, and you can jot this down, Exodus 16, God gives His people manna. And He tells them, listen, you can go out and gather this, but don't keep it till tomorrow. Just get enough for the day. And guess what they did? Some of them kept it, and what happens for you who knows the story? What happened to the manna they kept? It, it, it rotted, it stunk, and it had worms. But, he said, on the day before the Sabbath, the day before your day of rest, you're, you're going to do it six days. On the seventh day, I'm going to give you so much on the sixth that it won't rot. You can keep it over that day, and guess what? It didn't rot that day. How could that happen? Because ordained it. God ordained it. And you know what? There were still people that went out on the seventh even though He said not to. Do we do that? He tells us not to do something and we do it. But Jesus is saying, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. It was not about a burden for you. It's supposed to be rest. It was a day that we reflect on God's goodness, His provision, His mercy. If we don't, what happens, guys, if you just work? Have you ever had a time where you just got into a pattern of working 24-7? Not 24-7, but you know what I mean. Seven days a week, you weren't taking time. How much are you thinking about spiritual things during that time? How much are you thinking about what God has done to provide for you? The thing is, guys, this was a covenant sign of God's people. They only worked six days a week. All the other pagan nations worked seven days a week. Why? They had to. They didn't depend on Yahweh. But God's people were supposed to depend on Yahweh. And He said, I only want you working six. I want you to take a day of rest. And then He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. From Daniel 7. And what He's saying by that is, all reality is under my care. All reality is under my sovereignty. Nothing is independent or outside my authority. Remember what he said in John 1-2? All things were made through Him, John says. Colossians 1-16, all things were not only made through Him, they were made what? For Him. So the the Sabbath was a covenant sign. Listen to this, what it says in Isaiah this is, I, I don't think I've ever heard this preached, to be honest with you, in my lifetime. But I was reading it and I thought, wow, this is a great sermon. Listen to this. Isaiah 58, verse 13. 
If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's God's Word, guys. And so, you look at organization like you look at an organization like Chick-fil-A. They've made it a part of their philosophy. We're going to close on Sunday for families to be, you know, people to be with their families and worship God on that day. But they didn't start that. It's been going on a long time. How many of you guys ever heard of a guy named Ralph Maloon? Any of you guys ever water ski? You ever ski behind a correct craft? You ever heard of correct craft? Ralph Maloon owned the, the correct craft company. It was called another name back in the 40s. But he ran this boat making company. And during the war... Uh, the World War II, they came to him and said, listen, we, well, let me just read. This is an article. And um, it was written, the armies in Europe were running out of supplies and ammo unless troops crossed the Rhine River immediately and, and much ahead of schedule, there would be certainly great loss of life. The greatest obstacle uh, between the Allies and Berlin was their need for storm boats. So General Eisenhower ordered 569 boats by March 5th. Our schedule at their company was to make 48 boats. But after a family conference and then spending time with the Lord, this guy was a believer, and seeking his guidance, we committed to 300. Six times the number of boats they gave him to make. This On Saturday, February 10th, we spent building jigs and preparing. But on Sunday, we closed for rest and worship. And we were going to resume work on Monday. Our workforce uh, had lots of problems. We had material shortage, crowded transportation, inexperienced help, and a shortage of time. And at this point, we were looking at 15 days to make 300 boats. The government expediter came down and gave us suggestions, and he said, we got to work seven days a week. He said, those three extra days are absolutely necessary. We settled that long ago with the Lord. We said, no, we want to accomplish this task in such a way as to bring glory to God. His plan for this boat company was not for us to work seven days a week. We made that known to the representatives that we knew it was impossible without him. We were setting out with faith that God would see us through. If they insisted on Sunday work, we were going to rescind the contract. And so permission was granted for them to only work six days a week. And to, I'm not going to read the whole article, but the bottom line is they not only exceeded 300 boats, they were tasked with making another 100 because the other three boat manufacturers couldn't keep up with them. The others were working seven days a week and couldn't make what they were making in six. It's a true story, but, but don't miss this. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11? He said, 
I'll take my yoke. My yoke is easy. The, the Sabbath was not meant for a burden. It was meant to be a day of rest. They had made it burdensome like they did with all their religious rules. And so the thing for you and me is we rest in Jesus. That's the gospel. See, that's, the, that's why the Sabbath is the only commandment not mentioned in the New Testament. Like, like it like is still active. Did you know that? It's the only one. In fact, in Colossians, Paul says, listen, you don't have to regard one day as different than the other. We should, we should rest. I'm not saying we shouldn't rest. I'm not saying that they, they, they shouldn't do what they did. All I'm saying is, it was a day of rest. It was for us. It was not to be a burden. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to them. He clarified the Word. Well, finally, what He does is, they go, this is not the same day, He goes back to a synagogue and they're still following Him and there's a guy with a paralyzed hand. It's His right hand, His work hand. And so this means the guy can't work. And we, we read it. It says he, he, he was, had a withered hand. And verse 2 said, they watched to see that they might accuse. They didn't care about the leper. They didn't care about the paralytic. They didn't care about Levi. They don't care about this guy who can't work. The only thing they care about is their place of authority, their position over the Jewish people. That's all they cared about. They placed tradition over the restoration of this man's life. They were watching to see what Jesus would do. But I love what Jesus did. He said, come here. Literally, that translation is... It's not really the best translation because he literally said, stand up. That's what it in the Greek, it literally means, just get up. And the guy stood up. And, and here's what, what they were watching Jesus to see what he would do. And he said, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I love that. He, he had a lot of moral courage. He just plowed through their religious hypocrisy. He didn't care. He knew what they were thinking. He knew they wanted to kill him, but he didn't care. He cared more about the guy. When the powers that be are against you, what are you going to do? Because it's coming. It's coming here. You're going to be put to the test. You're going to have people that are going to ridicule you, that or they're going to try to destroy you, your business, your family, whatever. And what are you going to do? Jesus stood up. And, and, and so Jesus does this. He says, hey, is it lawful to do good or bad on the Sabbath? It was a great question. What are they going to say? They're not going to say do bad. He's making a point. He's bringing up Pekua Nefesh. And he, he, he's saying, you guys are wanting to do harm to this guy. I'm wanting to do good. Who's really the one messing up here? And so what did they do? They were silent. Why? They didn't know what to say. He silenced them. You think that made them upset? Anytime people don't know what to say, they get really angry. They internalize it. But Jesus used this pakua nefesh again. And, and what He did is it says He looked around them and we see something we don't see often in Scripture. He was angry. How many times do you see Jesus angry in Scripture? Not many. Yeah, but not many. And every time he's angry, it's at the prideful religious leaders, right? And so he looked around and his, hearts were, his heart was grieved. you know why? Because it was like uh, he says over in Matthew, Matthew says in Matthew 9, they were like sheep without a shepherd. These are the leaders. 
And these leaders don't care about the people. They love power more than people. So Jesus goes, stretch out your hand. Now, did this guy have an ability to stretch out his hand? It was paralyzed. And, and, but what does he say? He says he obeyed. He did it and it was restored. The Pharisees and the Herodians plotted to destroy him. So here's what happens when religious leaders don't go, go their way. They get into politics because the Herodians were political. That's what happened. So they start colluding together. But why did they want to kill him? Was it because he healed a leper? Was it because he healed a paralytic? Was it because he healed this guy with a paralyzed hand? You know what's interesting about all of these things I just mentioned, all these guys he healed? That all of these people did what God called them to do, but they had no ability to do it without Him. I want you to think about that for us. They all did what God called them to do, but they could not do it without God's help. God was evident in all of them. And they look at that and they go, we're going to have to kill this guy. Think about that. Why did they hate him so much? It wasn't because of what he did. It's because of what he said. He basically was saying, listen, salvation is not through religious observance. Well, they also hated him because he had a lot of followers and he was getting more and more. Well, yeah, that was it. But the bottom line is he was eroding their power. Right, right. And so, and he was saying, it ain't about the outside. Everything they said was about the outside. So it was a completely different message. So here's our takeaways, guys. First, Jesus affirms God's word as our authority, not the traditions of men. The tradition of man can never supersede God's word, it just can't. I don't care if your church has the best bylaws in the world. I don't care if they have the best philosophy of ministry in the world. It cannot supersede God's Word ever. Does that happen? You bet. You bet. Second, Jesus clarifies that the Sabbath was a day of rest for God's people. Jesus is our Sabbath, guys. All other religions teach you have to earn your salvation, your way to God. Only Jesus says to rest Him. Hebrews 4, 9 says that very clearly. Our rest is in Him. So stop striving. You're never going to be good enough on your own to be accepted by Him. Rest in Him. He did it for you. That's the beauty of His message. And third, God desires our mercy not our sacrifice. I mean, it's not that we shouldn't have sacrificial lives, but when we are sacrificing, but we're not merciful to people. He says that in Matthew 9, when he called Levi in the Matthew account, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Matthew 15, he goes, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are what? Far from me. It's an internal thing. And guys... I don't know anybody that is grateful for what God has done in their life, really truly grateful, who isn't a person of mercy and grace. When you're grateful for what He's done in your life, you're going to extend that to other people. Okay? So, um, 
Danny, close us in prayer today, brother.